following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners today. The topic for today's message is obedience for the spiritual area of life. Whoever he is in me needs to shine out through me. And when we identify with our identity in Christ Jesus, as we already have learned, behavior comes from identity. So for us to actually become adequate disciples in and through Christ, become obedient in and through Christ becomes very, very critical. So let's talk about this process. Gathering in worship, the best way to find out where someone is in their personal identity in Christ is by observing them in worship. So let's take a look at that. To be a Christ is life worshiper is to be taken up with him in spirit. Awed by his presence, overjoyed by his righteousness and gracious acceptance. Bound by his immeasurable greatness, freed by his everlasting love. It is giving to him oneself and all that one knows in honor, adoration, allegiance, obedience and exaltation. Now that's really a mouthful if you talk about someone standing there in worship to be able to release all of that in that moment of worship. Well, here's the problem. Worship is released in the mind of man. So if you have stuff coming from the outside in and using the five senses to get at your brain, so all Satan has to do is to use the five senses to distract the human mind And once the human mind is distracted, it fights against the mind of Christ in you and you can't be released to worship because you're distracted. So for a believer to actually get beyond the distractions that come in through the five senses is a great confession of their ability to look beyond the circumstances and still worship Christ. When indwell believers gather together to worship God, it may be said that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. For together their praise can be maximized, their appreciation of God deepened through sharing His wonderful works through the act of worship. Their hearts challenged to fuller occupation with Him by the speaking of His Spirit through each body member as each growing Christ. You know, every sermon that God asked me to work on, I know that I know there are going to be practical assaults of God demonstrating exactly how this message works. Where I even have to personally embrace the reality of the message that we're about to share. 
So my mind gets distracted from the sound thing to the video production to make sure it's in the people are they who's coming today well and all this stuff that keeps coming at me is challenging me to live out what you are seeing on the screen right now. Now can you imagine going in a country where there's rebels walking around with machetes and I'm worried about if the audio is going to work out right or if the whatever is going to work out right and their people are leaving their churches, maybe even fearful of going to church because the rebels are going to come in with machetes. It's all relative. Shannon and I were talking about the definition of relativity and the fact that the definition itself of relativity is relative. It's subjective. What God calls problem, man may not call problem. What God calls righteousness, man may not call righteous. What man calls righteous, God may call unrighteous. What man calls a problem, God may say, that's not a problem. See how it goes? So even the idea and the concept of what our perceptions are of attacks and persecution and distress and difficulties is extremely subjective. Let's take a look at <clears throat> how this really does affect the release of the spirit within our mortal bodies. When an individual body member understands Christ as their life, they can make use of their choices to release the spirit within them to do the worshiping of God. Obedience in worship is critical for when individual parts are inhibited and restrained in the practice of worship, it hinders the gathering of the saints as a whole. Now when we're talking about the whole idea of worship, are we talking about singing? We talk about Chris Tomlin's songs, making sure we can lift our, our hands, you know, as he leads us in worship. What are we talking about here? What, what's worship? Focusing on Christ. Through? Singing or? Okay, how about just through our lives? So it's through the singing, it's through the Bible reading, it's through the sharing, it's through the, the preaching, it's through the, the offering, it's through the whatever. It's the full expression of the body of Christ. That's what worship is. So if your mind was thinking, okay, when we, when we go into our time of these songs that we like, then you're not really understanding the full definition by biblical requirements, actually, of worship. Worship is an expression of your being. Well, if you're doing to show the world around you that you are a Christian, then you're not worshiping. That is not worship. God will give no attention, no credit to it. But if you are a 
if you are being who you're supposed to be in Christ, everything you do becomes an act of worship. Everything you do becomes an act of worship. The Holy Scriptures exhort us not to forsake the assembly of saints. And as we gather, we are to confess our hope without hesitation. Fears or the restraint of being inhibited definitely becomes a huge challenge when you pull body members together. Because now remember, as you're gathering together, there's a history coming in with you as you are gathering together. The history of the morning, the history of the week, the history of of uh, basically the enemy taxing you down so you do break the mandate. One simple mandate given to us in the Psalms and who remembers what it is about the assembly. Forsake not the assembly. Now, I, I just want us to take a moment here because I know that there are, there are listeners that not only do they do absolutely everything possible not to break the mandate of, of fellowshipping together and the requirements that come with that, but they, it is almost their life source to get the, the feeding from each other in order to make it through the next week. So I know there's some listeners that are going, why in the world would you not gather together as body members? Then there is another group of, of Christians that are subject to externals, and so all Satan has to do is use the externals with the five senses to come in to attack and break down your humanness so that you forsake the fellowship of your brethren. You see, once you, once you have your priorities and straight, I am not lecturing on the idea of we need to make sure we, you know, put Heartland Family Fellowships in top priority. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about unless there are circumstances that trouble the entire body, you know, like an illness, that stays intact. Because the enemy is going to break down so that, because he knows that that works so that the person has, has no energy to what? Go to church? So here's how this works. If gathering together, if the fellowship of the assembly gathering together is like Fire, igniting fire. We have a picture on our website that I put pictures at the top of everything it is we're trying to explain on each page in our website. And the one with Dr. Solomon and I explaining our relationship of father and son. I have this picture of one match igniting another match igniting another match. And it creates this fire effect from one light to a whole matchbook set being set aflame 
What would be the difference in heat? What would be the difference in light? What would be the difference in energy from one match to the whole book of matches? Just because two people touch. That is what's being explained to us here about not forsaking the fellowship of the assembly. You actually, it's not that I'm too tired to go, it is I have to go. I have to have my match lit by the fellowship of the brethren. It's a dominoes effect. You push one over, someone starts sharing, another person shares, another person shares, another person shares, and there's supposed to be this movement amongst the body of Christ in a gathering that the pastor has to hope he can find a space, a gap in the service to stop things so we can do a little preaching. That is not how most fellowships function. Most fellowships function on forsaking the assembly because the dominoes effect of the Holy Spirit is not going to happen if the fellowship doesn't come together and someone doesn't push over the domino. One domino. Just push over one domino. The pastor should have that body set up that there's a full domino effect. That's how we're supposed to function. Not to have the enemy breaking us down so we don't come together so that those that match doesn't get ignited by someone else's match. Outside of crawling in here, I'm going to be in here. Unless I have an illness that can be passed on to someone. That is how the body of Christ should be functioning worldwide. We must come together. We've got to get, get the group Together, so that we're igniting each other. This life and light is igniting each other. So when you leave the gathering, you're fired up, as they say. Literally. By the life and light of Christ through the Holy Spirit. One of the most encouraging ways to lift fellow bridal members up before the Lord is through the act of observational worship. The members who are freed up enough to praise our God with our hearts, hands, feet, songs, other more inhibited members began to follow in suit, thus encouraging one another to love each body part of Christ as a whole. And this cannot be done without the willful choice of obedience. So, I'm just going to stop for a moment. I want you guys' feedback on where the enemy works to stop this from happening. Where does it work? You mean where the enemy stops us from doing all this? Yeah. By making us by doing, excellent, so by doing, being disobedient in what? By not loving each body part of Christ as a whole. Okay. Here or somewhere else? 
in our entire life. Exactly. So worship has to be outside this building. Worship has to be outside of your tent gathering, if that's where you're meeting. Worship has to be outside of this, this hut that you're meeting in. Worship has to be, worship starts out there. And you bring worship in here. And then you're already alive. You're fired up. You're lit up. When you come, you don't come to be lit up, but there are individuals that need to be lit up when they come. Okay, now you're seeing the double-edged sword of gathering together as a body of Christ. The more mature ones, supposedly those of us who have been in and around the church for many years, we need to come lit up. We need to, in the spirit, fight off the spirit waging war against the flesh and the flesh waging war against the spirit. That, that whole fight that we are called to war with every day is our responsibility as mature believers. So that when we show up, we're lit up. We are a light. We are a life. We are an igniter for Christ Jesus. Because when the discouraging ones or discouraged ones or even those who enjoy discouraging others, that light in that life ignites the Holy Spirit bearing witness with each body member and all of a sudden every service becomes this dominoes effect of life. That has to start with obedience. I mean, we have to choose. In that moment, we have to choose. And it's an extremely difficult, if not impossible, choice if the flesh is flaunting in front of us two, three, four days before we actually get here. When people dump church or the gathering of the brethren as their top thing that they dump, it is a confession of their souls. It's true. I don't understand why the first thing we dump is this. Aren't there other things that we can dump? Why are we dumping this? Why are we dumping this igniting, this dominoes effect time? It's only a couple hours out of a, out of a week where the body of Christ is saying, I'm coming together to be ignited by the Holy Spirit because I'm struggling. Or I'm coming to ignite others who are discouraged. And that's the area we dump. We just take it and we, we put it in the drawer, we shut the drawer and we say, okay, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Well, then go to church. If, you, if there are listeners that are out there listening to this podcast and you are not associated with the local body, you need to contact us and we've got enough contacts in most so, uh, most primary countries in the world, we can get you connected to a body somewhere. But you need to be connected to a gathering of saints. 
So this whole process of encouragement and hope and, 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 and being enlightened by the life and, and the life of the indwelling Jesus Christ. But by stress pushing you farther and farther, farther away from the gathering, you're not going to get healed. There's no promises. Jesus said, where two or more gathered in my name, I will be there as well. Well, does that mean that if we're by ourselves, Jesus doesn't show up? No. Jesus is in us, and he does fellowship with us privately. But I'm telling you, this is a real-to-life principle. When two touch, when two are gathered, there is a power released. So if that's true, and Jesus is not a liar, if that's true, well, that'd be where I'd tack, right there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that individual, you know, be gathered together. I would put such an attack on that person that they felt lonely and isolated and off to the desert land they go for the next 20 years, 20 days. Doesn't matter. Loneliness. Stay with me on this, folks. Loneliness is the description of hell. See, Satan thinks he's going to get down there in that pit. He's heard about the pit. He's read about the pit. He's, he is able to read, believe it or not. He knows what the Word is saying about where he's going to go. But he's stupid. Remember what stupid is? Stupid is knowing the truth, but having no ability or unwillingness to choose truth. So he knows basically what hell looks like from a description. But I think he thinks that that the third of all the angels, which are called demons, are going to be with him, and he'll be able to be king tied of this, whatever this domain is down there. And I think all the people, which is 90% of the people who were born on earth, are going to end up there. So I think he's thinking, I'm just going to have a pretty large group. That would be wrong. He will not be able to Touch, reach out, embrace, enjoy anything, anybody, person, place, or thing that will take away his loneliness. Loneliness is the description of hell. You will be separated from God, separated from other, other people who went to hell, separated from demons, demons separated from demon, Satan separated from his triunit. Separation everywhere. It will be the description of hell. So what do we do as body members? Satan comes along and attacks, 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 exhausts us, busy, 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 busy attacks. And what do we do? We separate. We go to hell. In our own minds. We create this hell in our minds by separating. What's, what's that about? You see, we're, what we're called to do is to gather together under duress. We're together together when we're being attacked. 
We're to gather together when we feel lonely. We're to gather together when the enemy is separating us and trying to get us to experience a little bit of hell on earth. Do you understand that? If you understand the greatest description of hell, and then we localize it just by why we're supposed to gather together, do not forsake the fellowship of the brethren, you'll get it. And you'll have compassion for those who are setting up their own personal hell. So let's break it down a little bit more. Even though it appears to be ministering from body member to body member, it fulfills a greater commission of exalting our husband and our Savior, and of course that's Jesus Christ. As each are drawing near to Abba Father in corporate worship of him, we fulfill a mandate given to the church to magnify and exalt his name together. Now, to repute, to be of no repute, to be of no reputation, is what we're called to do as bridal members. Now, I want to ask you gals, there's 321 primary cultures in the world. If we added them all up, it would be well over 2,000 from what I understand. Well, we're just talking about the primary cultures that other cultures have spun off of. In those cultures, are there any cultures, laws, that support a woman having her own name? Trick question, huh? Her own name. Do you have your own name? Yeah. Boy, am I going to get emails on this one. What's that? She either has her father's name, her husband's name, or her husband's brother's name, which is her husband's brother's father's name. There is no culture... In the world today, and it's even if women go to the courts, sue to get their own name, which is happening today amongst the lesbian community, because they realize this is a problem. There are no female names anywhere in the world today. None. The system has been set up in such a way that the woman marries into a name adopts the name, becomes a representative of the name, and exalts that name. Does this sound a little bit familiar here? You see, God is interested in one thing. To have his name exalted. His repute. Itations. His name lifted up, his reputation proclaimed. That's it. Exalt the Lord. 
So when people are running around stealing names from each other through divorce, stealing from each other through going to court and suing for another name, changing your name because you don't like your birth name, and on and on and on and on and on, it is a great insult of the Abba Father. See, we're the bride of Christ. Not only did God set the culture up that no woman gets a name, but he set that culture up in such a way that we would understand the things that are in the natural world to understand the things supernatural. So now when we receive Jesus Christ, our husband, we receive Jesus Christ as our husband, our old name from the father of lies is put away. Our new name in Christ Jesus is received. And we as body members, the bride of Christ, are to lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus lifts up the name of the father. He holds no glory for himself. And he's and he is Jesus Christ. He will not hold any glory for himself. No repute. He himself had to be a man of no reputation. And believe me, Satan did everything possible to strip him of it. He didn't care. Why? Because it was all about his Abba. It is all about the primary name of the most patriarch of all patriarchs. So when a woman is demanding her own identity as a woman, she's lost. And that's why we look around the world and we see the whole thing about, you know, the first woman on the moon or want to be on the moon or for, it's ridiculous. Because it should always be about her husband or her father. Why? Because that's how it works spiritually. It's always about Jesus Christ or Abba. Haven't you noticed when people pray, Dear Heavenly Father? Blah, 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 blah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are sealing in the full trinity. As a bridal member, the words that you are confessing aren't even close to showing up at the throne of God. Do you understand that? It, you're, it's not even close. The Spirit has to intervene for you. Use utterings, using a language before God that He'll actually listen to. Because we're foolish in the way we pray. We don't even know what to pray. Because it's just me, 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 me. You think God's going to tolerate that in heaven? The Holy Spirit's going to go, I think I know what you're saying, Steve. I know you're troubled. Okay, I think I know what Okay. And the Spirit comes before the living God and says, Stephen is struggling. 
He's wanting it to be about him again. Whatever it is that goes on with the three of them is their business. We can be as selfish and ignorant and offensive to the throne of God as we think we could possibly be and the Spirit of the living God will still present us to Jesus Christ, our husband, in the purest light. That's grace. But what do we do? We make it all about us and our thinking and our interpretation and what we think is the right way to do it or present it or whatever. And we get skeptical and critical and argumentative. And really, it doesn't matter. The Spirit of the living God is not going to allow anything to come before the throne of God that is not pure, righteous, holy, blameless. That whole list out of Ephesians. Which happens to be our identity in Christ. How can we be holy, blameless, righteous, you know, that list of 14 knives. How could we be those things when, when down here the Spirit's going, Oh boy, is Finney a mess today. But then to turn around and present me to the living God and my husband as holy, blameless, chosen priest. The reason why identity in Christ works is because of the representation of the Holy Spirit uttering words before our husband that are acceptable in the ears and the eyes of Abba Father. Or else we'd all go to hell. That's the life of God. In Christ. In you. It's not just you running around saying, I have the grace of God living and breathing inside me. I have the mind of Christ. So... Some of the most screwed up people I have, I have contact with on a weekly basis are exchange life believers. They use Christ's mind in them as a reason to proclaim their false doctrines. And then sign it with their husband's signature. Do you know how much the bride of Christ grabs a hold of the pen the oil, the anointing, the flow of the Spirit, and signs Jesus' name to cheap doctrines? Although the overt ones are, you know, it's, it's appropriate to have homosexual pastors. Well, most body members would go, oh, yuck. Come on, you really don't believe that. It's the covert stuff. Like, what I just explained to you about thinking your prayers actually show up at the throne of God. <laughs> they don't. The Holy Spirit is a filter. So all, all this flesh starts coming, this, the Holy Spirit's a filter, takes what you really mean because the Holy Spirit really understands you. Holy Spirit lives in there 24 hours a day and knows exactly what you're going through. So there's no rejection, there's no insults, it is hearing your heart, turning around, representing it to our husband in its purest fashion. That's the power and grace of our husband. 
for, for me, it actually doesn't get any better than that. Obedience in the physical area of life, as in using your body for magnifying and exalting His holy name, is the starting place of obedience. The New Testament is... The New Testament is repeated instance of indwelled believers. I'm assuming that's what I meant. Uh, meeting together to break bread, to remember to worship the Lord, to hear Him speak, to sing from inside the body, members, and to give Him praise for placing the Holy Spirit within each to inherit the eternal ability to worship in spirit and in truth. Last week we talked about the passage in James where it talks about for the do you think that this, the scriptures speak to, to no purpose? For he jealously desires the spirit which indwells you. So it's really what is going on between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we're given a gift to actually ride along with that relationship. We're grafted into an existing intimacy. It has, it has nothing to do with us. So when Paul said to the Galatian church, he said, for he who thinks he's something, when he's nothing, deceives himself. I mean, what is the most popular vain philosophy that is in the world today? Seriously. Worship of yourself? Yeah. I mean, every job occupation and training and education and just everything that's around us in life is basically to prove that you're something. How many believers in Christ Jesus do you know that work daily, that work 24 hours a day to be nothing? You know, and if there if there are people who are not willing to just look in the mirror and see the face of Jesus versus look in the mirror and go, you know, I gotta do something about this life. The fact is, he doesn't want you to do anything with this life. He didn't want you fixing it, repairing it, praying more about it. He wants you to reckon it dead. So that the life of Christ can be seen in that mirror. So that we can say, well, I'm nothing. But as we look at the full scope of our seven areas of life, that is not what we're communicating to a dying world. I cannot tell you how many times I enjoyed it. It happened this week when I have a, a leader, you know, catch me in saying something that is so self-oriented and say, well, you know, Finney, isn't it really about dying anyway? Isn't it really about not about you? Isn't it really about Christ revealing something through nothingness? There isn't anything more refreshing to us. 
than for our husband to say, you are nothing aside from my name. You can accomplish nothing without me doing it. You are my wife. And my wife supports my name. Well, the reason why it's a big struggle today is that it's not how our marriages function. It isn't. We have two, three, four ministries in each house. We have two, three, four identities in each house. We have so much going on inside of a house. We have people tracking that way and that way and that way and that way. It is impossible for that wife nowadays to support one mission, one ministry, one man under one man. Jesus Christ. They're all over the place. No wonder we're exhausted. God assigns one sword to one home. God assigns one ministry to one home. God assigns one mission to one home. And the way to destroy a Christian family is to put two or more missions in one household. I had a young man, and I'm sorry if you recognize who you are if you're listening to this, but I had a young man turn me into his pastor in Hutch because I gave him counsel that he need to resign from his position at church and support his father's mission. And he was so insulted by that and not having and me encouraging him to have ownership of his own ministry, aside from his father, uh, it, he tried to create quite a disturbance. And thankfully, pastor is listening, which I doubt he is, but thankfully that pastor supported what I was saying. You see, why would God give five different ministries to a household? Because one's into... One art, another one is into another form of art. Music is an art. It's not a calling. Do you understand that? There's no music of ministry or ministry of music. It is a talent that is given to support worship. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the real reason we're gathered here together? Why do we have musicians? Why do we have, you know, people who are good at reading? Or why do we have all these areas of gifting? Well, go ask your leader. Go ask your pastor. Find out the mission that you're supposed to be supporting. The reason why pastors get frustrated in your average congregations today is because the people aren't supporting the pastor's mission. Well, then leave his church. Don't go to church unless you're going to support that pastor's mission. I mean, what's the point? It's fruitless. It's filling pews. You're taking up God's time. Go wander. Go be separate. Go be your own thing. Get out of here. But don't bring that separateness into the church because it is bringing and introducing loneliness and isolation and you know where it goes from there. Seriously. 
If you're going to be adopted into a family, you should look at the father of that family and go, well, what's your mission? I'm very grateful that you adopted me. But what's your mission? Where are we going? What are we going to do? What's our task today? Not coming into that adopted family and going, okay, I've got a few objectives here I want you to follow. In Jesus' name. And we start giving orders to the Father like he's some kind of slot machine. I listen to some people pray and I get sick to my stomach. Who do they think they're talking to? And they talk, they, they order their husband around, Jesus Christ. They order their husband around like modern marriages. What's the joke that's in the movie? Well, he may make the decisions, but I'm the neck that turns the head. I would love to have a true survey from God that shows how many marriages where the woman covertly, maybe not so covertly, manipulates that, that man's mind to make any and every decision she wants done. I think you would have the description of the church of Laodicea. There's no honor there anymore. So why would we expect the church to function any differently? That's as bad as practical as we can, we can make this problem. Even though it appears to be ministering from the body member to body member, didn't I just cover this? No. It fulfills a greater commission of exalting our husband and Savior as each are drawing near to the Abba Father. Yes, we did. So let's move on to the next slide. There we go. Each indwelt believers, true worship of God in, in uh, concert with other believers, which is a good way of saying it. Whether the face faces to the ground and silent are lifting hearts and faces and hands to him, in praise, ought never to be forsaken for really any reason at all. To do so would be robbing God of his rightful and deserving place as Abba Father. Plus, it weakens the body of Christ. It weakens the body of Christ and promotes impoverishment of each individual soul. Obedience and worship is the place where the body of Christ regenerates the soul for daily living. So here's a few questions for us. What importance are you now giving to the act of corporate worship? Two, when you miss worshiping with others, what does it cost you spiritually? Three, when in corporate worship, do you allow your body, soul, and spirit to draw near to Him, Jesus Christ, to enter in and be taken up with God by way of indwelling spirit within you? Four, how do you participate with others in their worship? Five, what do you believe God is saying to you about corporate worship in your life? And finally, number six, the perfect human number, what do you plan to do with your lack of obedience in worship? Now, if you gather together, the only illustration I can 
give you is the one that God uses in my mind on a regular basis. When I would be in a meeting in Washington during my political stint, since I felt so inadequate, when the meeting started, I cannot tell you how focused I was on every word that came out of the mouths of everyone at that table. Because I wanted to be alert I wanted to be whatever it is I'm going to share. I wanted it. I wanted it to be congruent to to the topic. I wanted it to to sync with other people. I wanted it to move it to the next point. I wanted to use everything that God blessed me with to actually move that meeting to the next step. But I had to listen to everything coming out of everyone's mouth. To rightly discern it and to grab what did apply to our primary mission for that meeting and to move the meeting forward. Now I'm going to tell you a time that I met actually with a group of politicians and I was quite scared because I knew what God was requiring of me. And when I, this was with the Department of Welfare social services, basically. And um, I got up to the director's office, was in his conference room waiting for everyone. And as I'm setting up my projector, show people the faith-based initiative project, uh, they come in one by one. They have their name tags. And, and uh, you know, I'm the guest, of course. And the director comes in of the Department of Social Welfare and sets down and uh, and they're kind of waiting on me. I'm kind of stalled out here a little bit and finally I said, I need to have all of you take off your name tags. Well, that's against policy. They weren't going to take off their name tags. So they're just like staring at me. I said, I'm not moving forward Unless you take off your name tags. And I want them face down on the table. Well, the director's sitting at the other end of the table. I'm at one end of the table. And then we had all these wannabes on each side of the table. And, and so they, they're not taking off their name tags unless the director takes his off. So sure enough, he took off his name tag and he put it face down. Domino effect. Domino effect. See how it works? That is how gathering in for Christians should minimally work. Is when the leader makes a decision, there's a dominoes effect. Why in the world does this work in public affairs, but it doesn't in the church? I don't care if the leader takes his name badge off or not. I'm not taking mine off. Well, the name tags went face down, and I said, okay, for this meeting, for this two-hour slot that we have got laid out here, nobody in this room carries an edge on another person. Our identities do not matter. The only thing that matters is the topic that we're going to be presenting. And have an open discussion. 
as body members to discuss this topic. So we did. And I said, I'm going to start out by sharing my story, my testimony with you. And I know that I'm not supposed to, but since our identities, government identities are face down on the table, we're going to talk about our own stories. And I'm telling you, there was a dominoes effect going on around that conference table. And it was a good-sized conference table. We had, that, we had a packed little room. And there was the gal to my right was the, uh, the deputy director of the entire Department of Social Welfare. And she starts crying like a baby, sobbing. I mean, what my wife would call sobbing. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening here at work. I can't believe this is happening in my job. I said, well, tell me your story. And she told her story, what she does on the weekend and what her outreach is to these poverty communities and how she loves Jesus so much. And I mean, I, I'm like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And it started a dominoes effect around the, around the table. This is in a secular government-managed room. And we can't even get that to happen in our churches. You see, but I had one thing going for me. They understood the power of authority, and if the authority lays his name tag down, the rest of us better do it. Well, it doesn't work in the church because it doesn't work in the homes. Well, we had a great meeting. I even closed the meeting in prayer. And everyone put on their name tags again. And they left, they left the, uh, the uh, conference room. And then the uh, director came back and he says, could I see you in my office? And now I'm telling you, I can only say that it sounded like my school years. I thought, I am going to get in trouble. So I said, absolutely. So I walked into his office. Larger than this store. It was beautiful. Pictures of him and the president all over the walls, and I just love pictures of the president. And I'm look, I'm just like looking at him. I'm just caught up by the pictures, and he's standing right there. I mean, he's a great man of honor, you know, and he's just standing right there. And I'm like, well, where, where did you get what? You know, I'm asking all these questions about these pictures, and I'm slowly moving around. And his desk is over here, and I'm slowly moving around. He's telling me little bits and pieces of the stories of the pictures. And, and then, you know, here's his desk, and I just walked right around his desk, and I saw this picture right here, because his chair's here, and his desk is here, and I saw this picture here, and it was, it was a picture of this little kid in the chair of the President of the United States. And the President has got his arm around him going and that's the picture in the Oval Office so I'm like who is this and he says well that's my son and God gave me a word of knowledge right on the spot and I am staring at this picture and the word of knowledge is coming in I'm in the office of the director and I'm getting a word of knowledge and what am I going to do with this? 
And the guy says to me, what, what, what? Because I was like lost in this picture. Silence in the office. He's like, what? I said, I don't, I don't know if I should, if I should tell you. I, he said, what? I said, well, you know my story. You know that I believe in the life of Christ and the Holy Spirit living in me and I believe that he talks to me and talks to any indwell believer and, you know. He said, what? What? I said, I am almost certain that I heard God say that this, to take special care of this one because there's a special calling on this boy's life. I said, it wasn't because of the president and him having a little fun time. It wasn't the Oval Office. I'm not even saying he's going to be the president of the United States someday. I'm just saying there's a special calling on this young man's life. This director starts crying. I mean, what, what I would call crying, but I'd call it beyond sobbing, but tears are rolling down this guy's face, and he is touched deeply. He says, you're the third person that has said those exact words. And then he told me his story, because he didn't in the meeting. And he said, you know, I heard his, his true salvation story. It was amazing what God did on that day. But here's what I walked away with. I walked away with God saying to me, this is how church is supposed to function. I leave the building and I go to the curb where I am waiting to get a taxi and head back to the hotel. I cannot find... This is like the busiest time. It's the end of the day. Busiest time. I mean, there were... It was just chaos. And anyone who's been in Washington, D.C. at 5 o'clock p.m., you know it's chaos. And so, and particularly down by the government buildings. So I'm standing there and I'm trying to get a taxi and I can't get a taxi and I'm walking right up to the taxi saying, can you take me, you know, to the Mayflower? And they're like, no, I got that, I got that, I got that, you know. I could not get a taxi. So I'm out in the middle of the street stopping taxis. So I was walking my way back to the sidewalk. This limo pulls up. Windows come down. (laughs) Sound effects. (laughs) And you know, this guy's hollering out to me and I look in and I go, he says, do you need a ride? I'm like, uh, yeah, I do. He says, get in. So I get in the back, and, you know, it's my first time in a limo. I'm actually riding in one. I think I've sat in one before that. But So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm going to enjoy this 20 minutes. So I'm looking for the markings because in Washington, it is law. You have to post your license picture of the driver and all that. Nothing. So I figure, okay, it's a private limo. So I'm sitting back there and I'm just kind of enjoying it. I told him the Mayflower, you know, and so he's pulling away and he's just kind of like looking at me and he's, and he says, just right off the get-go, he says, he says, uh, are you a Christian? 
I'm like, yeah, you might say that. And he, and then I said, are you? And he said the same thing back. And so I can, in my mind, I can literally take you block by block how this whole thing unfolded. He says, well, I have a special word from God for you. Okay, now I'm, I'm a stranger coming out of a government building. I get in this limo. He asked me right from the get-go, am I a Christian? And I asked him back, and I think his exact words were, uh, uh, you could say that. And then he proceeds to tell me he has a word of knowledge. I just had one up in the government building. And now this guy has got a word of knowledge for me. So he tells me this word, which I am to keep private, but it had to do with Africa. This is a long time ago. And this guy is speaking, looking into a mirror, speaking into my life about what God is going to do with my life with very specific parts of Africa. And I don't have any contacts in Africa at this point. And if I did, they were new to me. So he is downloading this stuff for quite a long time. And we get in front of the Mayflower. And when, you know, you pull in front of the Mayflower, whether you're in a limo or whether you're in a taxi, the doorkeeper opens up that door and does what they're paid to do. Well, same thing. Limo pulled up. The doorkeeper opens up the door, and that gentleman in the front seat put his hand over the back seat and said, Back up. i tell you what, that doorkeeper guy just backed up, you know, and, and then he started talking to me some more. And I said, Do you have like a business card? I need to talk to you some more. This guy was speaking stuff about that was in my life that no one would know but God. And... He says, he says, my identity doesn't matter. I said, no, seriously. I, just give me a phone number where I can call you and we can talk some more. And he says that his name didn't matter. He gets out, walks around, opens my door. I get out. I give him a great big bear hug. And I said, please give me some contact information. And he says, you'll be hearing from me. Really? You ain't know who I am. He didn't take a business card. I didn't take a business card of him. He's telling me he's gonna, I'm going to hear from him again. And he walks around, gets in the limo, and I'm walking to the door. And the sidewalks are, you know, we're wider than a lot of sidewalks, of course, but it wasn't a long period of time. But in my mind, I thought maybe I spaced out longer than I thought or something. But I went to go in the door, and I went to turn around just to kind of look at him one more time. And there was no limo. Gone. I become overwhelmed by emotion. I'm walking through the lobby of the Mayflower, weeping, truly weeping. I get up to my room and I'm pleading with God, what just happened? 
Who was this guy? Well, within two months, I'm in my office at Victorious Christian Living in Phoenix, and I get a phone call from a, because I was an advisor to the, some politicians there in Arizona, and I get this call from this gal, and she says, there's someone here that needs to talk to you, and I says, well, I'm kind of wrapped up in ministry stuff here right now, and I can't just drive down to the Capitol, and so they put this guy on, and guess who it was? And he further gave me instructions on a particular country in Africa. I have seen all these things come to life. Now, was he an angel? I think he was. Was he from God? I know Satan can't read the future like that. So this was a miraculous moment that God gave me in one afternoon of how the body of Christ truly can function if we just let go of the control. Let him create a dominoes effect. I shouldn't have worried about how I'm going to get back to the Mayflower. I shouldn't have worried about whether I was going to get in trouble by the director. I mean, all those things were worries that, that weren't even on God's agenda. They were all blessings. The things I, were, I was actually worrying about were actually blessings for me or for the other person. We really have this backwards. I'm telling you. We freak out because we have answers to these questions on what we think worship should look like and what we're comfortable with. And I'm not even a charismatic believer. I just believe God has the right to be God in and through us anytime He wants and any way He wants. That's His business. Malachi 3, 16 and 17 says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who feared the Lord, who esteemed His name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. See, I wish that I could just publicly announce what God told me through this guy, but see, it wasn't for the world. It was for me. Because I, he knew when I get in despair that I cannot see the clear vision of tomorrow. I can't. And God brings me back to this, this experience and the things that were said in that car that day. And I know that I know that it's going to unfold. And I'm telling you today that the significant work we're seeing in Africa was out of that man's mouth. And sometimes I'm so weak, I need to hear weak reminders that He is God and He is the one that will say, Stephen, you're mine. Your little tiny little fellowship is mine. Your outreach to Africa is mine. It's just mine. Mine. Not yours. 
And this frail little vessel, I'm telling you, needs reminded of that all the time. Because Satan knows how to get at me through my five senses. Obedience starts with fear. Here are two points I want you to spend a little more time studying. If you don't have a copy of the notes, pick some up on the way out. And uh, if you're online, please uh, open this, this link and print this out. Obedience starts with a proper fear of the Lord, not the kind that paralyzes, but rather the type that confesses awe, majesty to the Lord. Secondly, we need to take personal responsibility of our own prejudices against active worship and what we think worship really is as body members. And as we take the time to separate church relationships, those we don't get along with, from the act of corporate worship, we can then begin to heal in those very relationships. For those we worship, for those we worship with, become the vessel God uses to promote love, encouragement with one another. In other words, the very people that might be in your fellowship that you're not getting along with, and as you're standing there in worship or you're listening to some preaching or whatever the case may be, and you're constantly seeing this other person in your mind or with your eyes, that moment is a part of your healing. Don't separate. That is a moment assigned for your healing. To worship with the person you don't like. That's why divorce works so well. You don't want to worship with that spouse anymore. You dump them. You bail on them. You get rid of them. Well, you better pray God never does that to you. Leaves you and forsakes you. Because he doesn't enjoy worshiping with you. Because you're so selfish. And how many of the body members of Christ are selfish? No, I think the question needs to be asked, how many are not selfish? Here's our identity matter statement for today. One of the greatest blessings of obedience and corporate worship is the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation does not mean restoration. Barnabas and Paul had struggles. They reconciled those struggles, but they were not restored for many years. Peter and Paul had issues of reconciliation. They were not restored in relationship for many, many years. Restoration is different than reconciliation, but reconciliation is certainly a part of corporate worship. In other words, if you're there presenting your offering there, remember your brother has something against you. Leave your offerings. Go and make things right with that person and then come back and represent your offerings and God says, then I'll accept it. If you're giving money, time, effort, spiritual gifts, or natural talents under the condition of not being reconciled, you're throwing it to the wind. Worship promotes healing of relationships and this is why many seek forgiveness from others after they spend quality time in corporate worship. As for a stubborn at heart, those who refuse to loosen up in worship and keep their focus on the people around them, well, their phony acts of worship must be tolerated until the Spirit brings them to freedom in Christ Jesus. 
So if you are around someone, and I know in our African outreaches, there's a lot of fake worship. There's a charismatic movement sweeping that continent that's all about the emotion of worship. And if you're a real authentic worshiper of God and you are worshiping next to one of these high emotion, everything's about experience, please just pray for the person. If the Spirit of the living God lives in them, it's only a matter of time that the Spirit will lead them to authentic worship. In fact, they may even be watching you. How what you're doing seems to be truly authentic. And what they're doing is mustering up emotion. You will have a witness on their worship. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.